Hello and welcome to the beginning of a new series called Growing on the Front Line. For many of us at Watch It Baptist Church, this will be a series that we spend a lot of time looking through uh, a book and some videos that go with it provided by LICC. But I don't want to leave our Sunday teaching sessions empty, so I will be looking at that book and what it's presenting to us myself and we'll be working through what it says and the Bible studies that it engages with. For those of you who aren't familiar with me, my name's Mike, I'm the pastor at Watch It Baptist Church. This is WBC Online. Chances are, if you're watching it, you're watching it on YouTube. And if you're just listening, goodness only knows which podcast provider you're with. But thank you for joining us. We're going to be looking at a passage from 1 Samuel in a moment. I'm going to read that in the NLT version. But before we go any further, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, although we are in different places and engaging at different times, we are still together as your people under your headship. We recognise you as Lord and we ask that we learn in new ways how to obey and follow you through this session. Amen. As promised then, let's have a look at this passage. It's 1 Samuel and it's, we're looking at chapter 25. We're reading from verse 14 through to verse 35. So it goes like this. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming towards her. David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to us to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is wicked and ill-tempered. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men that you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, 
your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. And then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank you for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. We're setting out on this new series called Growing on the Front Line. It might be that you feel that you need to get your head around what's meant by that title. Growing, as we've been talking about for some time, is a key part of our life as disciples. God is good and has sent his son Jesus, who died and rose again for us, and who commanded us to make disciples. And we can't do that without being disciples. So part of what being a disciple means is to grow, to grow in who we are, to be spiritually formed. Now, if we're going to do that, we can't just get away with uh, academic learning. We can't just add to our intellectual knowledge. Our growth has to be uh, what you might call holistic, that is to say, growth of the whole person. Not just uh, physical upwardly getting taller growth, many of us have stopped doing that some time ago, but a growth in who we are. And there are going to be various ways in which we talk about how that happens. But you'll notice that it's talked about as being on the front line. And a recognition that our growing happens at the coalface, at the grassroots. How many other little cliche phrases might I use? But you see what I mean? It's growing that happens when we're face to face with the reality of the world. One of the uh, passages that's referred to, I'm not going to spend time on it today, but is referred to by those who've written this uh, set of uh, engagements, this course, I suppose, um, this set of eight sessions, is from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 5 to 8. I'm not going to read that now, but it, it describes a tree and the importance of good roots and the ways in which that tree is like a parallel to how Israel and individuals um, put themselves, keep themselves in who God is. And that as a result, things go well. At least they grow and they thrive. Along with uh, others, one of the minds behind growing on the front line is a man called Ken Benjamin, who we've heard from before. I don't think he's come to see us, at least not yet, but we have heard him talking and we have looked at some of the stuff he's presented in the past. And he tells a story about uh, from his own life of how in the run up to his finals for his degree, he was making a journey every time he had another exam to do. And he's making a journey in a car and it took about 
40 minutes. And each time he made that journey, the car sounded less healthy, sounded less well, more rattly, less good. He got all the way through his finals until the last exam date. And then on the way to that exam, the car noises just became a little bit too hard to ignore. Turning the radio up no longer drowned them out and the car stopped. It was not going to be possible to repair it by the side of the road. And he had his final, final exam to get to. So, as he was near London, he soon spotted a black cab, flagged it down and paid quite a, quite a large taxi fare to get himself to that last exam. He was describing why it was he needed a ride to the taxi driver. And the taxi driver uh, made a comment to Ken about how it was obvious that Ken didn't look after his car. And Ken was a little bit bothered by this and said, how can you tell, you've only just met me, you've only just picked me up, I've only just told you my story, how on earth can you know whether I look, up, look after my car or not? And the taxi driver said, you can tell from looking at the outside that you don't look after the inside. And that's a story that stayed with Ken and is part of the inspiration behind this idea that we need to keep growing on the front line. We need to tend our roots and look after how we might help ourselves thrive and flourish as we follow Jesus. With that in mind, let's take a proper look at our text from 1 Samuel. So, uh, we always say, don't we, that context is crucial here. I didn't want to read the whole chapter. It would have taken a little while, but there are a couple of things to be aware of. David, in the previous chapter, is on the run and he stays on the run through this chapter as well. The king of Israel is a man called Saul and Saul feels threatened by David and has said he will kill him. And in the previous chapter, David has a chance to kill Saul, but he doesn't do it. He shows mercy. He shows love and he doesn't uh, attack Saul when he had the chance to do so. Interestingly, the moment when he might have attacked Saul was at the mouth of a cave. David was hiding in the back of it with his men and Saul was at the front of it having a wee and was vulnerable. David didn't attack. What else do we have by way of context? Well, at the very start of this chapter, we find out that Samuel has just died. Now, Samuel is a prophet. And he had already anointed David as the next king by this point. In some ways, Samuel was like a mentor to David. And so a key figure in David's life has just died. And then we find out about Nabal. Now, Nabal uh, is wealthy. He owns a lot of land and a lot of animals. And he has a very beautiful and intelligent wife called Abigail. It's the Bible that calls her beautiful and intelligent. I'd imagine probably in a more contemporary description, uh, they might have used more um, funky words than beautiful and intelligent, but that's what she brings. That's what she's known for. Uh, and particularly that she's the intelligent and beautiful wife or smart and sassy wife, maybe of, uh, of a, a rich but unpleasant man. This man has asked David for protection and David has provided it. And David has said, would you welcome me? And this is at a point when David's star is in the ascendancy and it's becoming clear that he'll be the next king. Nabal is not polite and not kind. And as the passage said, repays good with evil. 
So David, Samuel, Nabal and Abigail all have a role to play here. Even though Samuel has died, his shadow is long. And Saul's is too. Now David was on his front line at this point. He is travelling the country, staying away from the capital, trying to stay away from Saul's men. And he is interacting with the significant figures of the land. He is also a military commander and he has a band of men who go with him. He's like an army leader. So he is on his front line both militarily and politically, but also personally, particularly when we remember that he's just had this occasion when he might have killed Saul. And he did some of his growing up in Saul's household. So Saul wasn't just an enemy character. He was part of the backstory for, uh, for David. There was a personal front line and a political front line and a military front line going on here for David. And in the face of this, uh, very rude rejection by a significant man of the land. David decides that he's going to exact his revenge. You're not going to show me any respect, he says. I won't show you any either. That's his behaviour on his front line. And then in steps Abigail into this situation. And what she brings is some very important... Um, characteristics and opportunities. She brings pause. She brings kindness in providing. She brings perspective on what David has done and is doing and what Nabal is like about what David's character has been shown to be so far. She offers a chance to reflect and she brings wisdom. And David recognises that as well. She brings all that while David himself is travelling with a sense of emotion, of, of anger and grief and frustration. And you can see how important it is that Abigail brings these things. David has admirable qualities, but on his front line, in the pressure of the moment, he hasn't handled this situation very well. Now. David's behaviour, because of who he was, was very visible. And because he'd been anointed as king, some saw him as the natural leader of God's people. And because of that close relationship between Samuel as prophet and David as king, there was also a way in which David's behaviour reflected on what God was like. And so people watching him behave the way he did said something about the nation and about God, as well as about David. So here was David's challenge. Was he going to step into a situation fueled by grief and frustration and anger, feeling rejected and disrespected? Or would he allow someone to speak into his circumstances would he allow for a moment of reflection? Would he handle that situation differently, given a moment to think about it and work on it? And that's exactly what he did. He was able to find a godly way to respond 
because he was given the opportunity. Because when he was given that opportunity, he took it. He could, of course, have sent Abigail packing. What is this woman doing out here with a whole bunch of donkeys in a mountain ravine? What's the deal with that? I've got a job to do. I'm in the middle of a command decision. I need to make sure I don't appear weak. I need to make sure that I feel satisfied that I have um, demanded the appropriate respect for a future king. He could easily have sent Abigail packing or told her to wait, but he didn't. He allowed the pause to happen. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, first of all, I think it's important that we think about what our front line is. It's going to be very different for different ones of us. Some of you who are reading um, the passage or listening to me talk about it will be those who, uh, whose front line is your living room with your family. For some of you, it'll be a work environment. For some, it'll be nursery or school. Remember that as we walk through discipleship life together, it's not only those who are over 18 who have things to offer and things to learn. And if you go to nursery, A, well done for still listening after 19 minutes, and B, what, it's like, what is it like being there? What's it like being at nursery and, uh, or in, in reception or in year five or eight? What's it like being there and having all those other people's emotions washing around you and trying to figure out what the best way is to be? Same goes for if it's your work environment that is your front line or the pub you visit on a weekly basis or your quiz team. It's worth thinking about that. And then it's worth thinking, well, what, what do I do when things get pinchy? What do I do when my when that sense of respect is challenged, when I feel not valued, not listened to, not taken seriously? How do I handle that situation? How do I respond when I'm grieving? How do I respond when I'm angry? Now, I guess there's two things to say here. One is that Abigail was crucial. And there will be people who bring to our lives an opportunity to pause and reflect and think and make space for God's voice to be heard. The other, the second thing, is that David had to allow for a pause. Sometimes we're blessed to have those around us who gently call us out and encourage us to slow down and think. Sometimes we don't. And actually, the voice that asks us to do that is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then it's our responsibility to pause, to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, and to ask whether that's really the most godly, the most Jesus-like way to be. I love this story. It's not a story that I had remembered until I was rereading it in preparation for this teaching. But I love the fact that we see so many very human parts of Israel at this time and it helps us increase our understanding that people like David so loved by God were so busted and tempted and had such conflicting motivations 
Anyway, I think probably that's where I'm going to leave it. But I do want us to take the opportunity to look at the questions that are going to follow in a moment as we think about how we might take this teaching forward. So let's pray. Father God, you were good to David, providing Abigail for him. We ask that you would send people to us that help us make good choices on our front line. Lord Jesus, we want to be more like you. Help us to be good at seeing what we are like and where we are challenged by our own emotions. Holy Spirit, carry on upholding us that we might remain determined, motivated to do things your way and follow your guidance. Amen. So here are our three questions for this week. It may be that in the end you don't engage with them too much because you are going to be using the book and the videos that go with them. Uh, but just in case it's helpful, here are three questions. Number one, what is your front line for godly living? It might even be that there's more than one. Where is it that you are on the front line at, at the coalface, really engaging with how to be Jesus-like in front of those who maybe don't know Jesus and maybe in front of those who do? Question two, what things in your life are more, most likely to leave you feeling hurt or emotional or angry or looking for revenge? What things leave you feeling disrespected, perhaps? It's important that we know our own emotions so that we're able to keep an eye out for how they influence us. So what are those things that affect you that way? Question three, what prompts you to reflect? What helps you to slow down and pause? What people, which people, ask you the questions that you need to hear? What helps you to reflect? Finally, and this isn't a question, it's just a little extra thing to hang in front of you. There's a thing called the examine prayer. Now, if you are looking at the books that go with this series, Growing on the Frontline, that is available to you in those books. In fact, there are two or three different ways in which we might look at it. I think page 52 can be helpful for that. But the examine prayer is a silent prayer that we do on our own as individuals that helps us to reflect, to think back, to celebrate, to acknowledge and then to think about how we take some of those things forward. I'm not going to break it down any further than that, um, but it is available in those books. And if you don't have access to a book and you want to know about it, ask somebody who has a book or get in touch with me and I will provide those guidance details on how the Prayer of Examine works. It's designed to be used daily and to be used by us individually. Thanks so much for being with us for this session. I look forward to working through Growing on the Frontline with you in the weeks to come. Take care 
and God bless.